So sometimes when it's like it is outside right now, we like to think about getting away. Right? Somewhere warmer, somewhere nicer. He may go on anywhere fun this year. He may taking any trips. I asked this one time and somebody said Gallatin. That's not really what I'm talking about. All right. Anybody go anywhere fun this year? Where are you going, Denise? Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, I really wasn't thinking about that right now. Now, come July, that'll be, when are you going to Alaska? So, do you realize, by the way, that it's been warmer in Alaska the last week than it has been here? In Anchorage, it's been warmer than it has here. All right, well, somebody else, where are you going? We got back there, Marilyn, where are y'all heading? D.C.? Not at, uh, on the same trip? Y'all going to drive to D.C. and then go out west? Now, y'all, y'all like to go like in... Y'all, y'all get an RV or something? Or did y'all just go and drive? Y'all just go and drive, right? Uh, Glenn drives. You said that very confidently, Glenn. She doesn't want to, Glenn? Or you don't allow her to? Oh, okay, all right. We're going to get into some marriage counseling real soon if I'm not careful back there. All right. Somebody else, where are you going? Fun, all right? Going to Israel, all right? Anybody else going to Israel this year? Oh, look at that. Back there. So the Johnson. So we've got, you got to have a last name of Johnson to go to Israel this year, apparently. And San Diego. Doesn't that sound good right now? Glenn, you just, what's going on there, all right? Now, when you get ready to go on a long trip, what do you do? Do you have any routines, any habits? You're getting ready to go on a long trip. What, what do you What do you do? You pack, all right? Make list. How many of you make a list of what you need to pack? How many of you make a list of what you need to make list of in order to get ready to go? All right. I see you list list makers. All right. List squared. We're in a series called Pack Your Bags. We started it last week. And the whole premise of this series of messages is simply how to prepare for what's next. We talked about last week that all of us have a next. Now, if you're in this room today, how many of you are in the room today? All right. How many of you are not sure you're in the room today? All right. If you're in the room today, you have a what's next. Now, for some, it's different for each of us. For some of us, it's um, milestones with our kids or our grandkids or our own lives. People talk about what's next with graduations and weddings, with empty nest, with grandchildren graduating, grandchildren getting married, children moving to a next stage of life. Perhaps for you, it's that downsizing moment. It's time to, to sell the house you you grew your family in or you moved into and you're thinking about it's time to transition to that or maybe you've already downsized and you think it's still too big and we got to downsize again we've all got a what's next and as we think about what's next one of the things we said last week is it's not enough to know what's next there is no correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next Just because you know what's coming doesn't mean you're ready for it, prepared for it. We kind of used the illustration last week of a couple standing here and I'm behind them and they look at each other and say, I do. And they have no idea what that really means. Now, I think about this, too, because in that same kind of scenario, couples come to us and they want to use our church or or they want me to perform a ceremony. And I'm always happy to be involved in that with a couple. It's always a special time with a couple. I had a couple from Ripley call me a couple of years ago. Hey, we want you to come to our wedding. And that's always a special time. 
But it always gets a little hairy when I tell them, okay, but here's the condition. If you get married in our church, or if I perform the ceremony, wherever it is, you must go through marital, premarital counseling. And you know what? Sometimes I hear, oh, I just don't know that we can squeeze that in. We're, we're spending so much time planning this wedding, I just don't know that I can get that in. And it takes a lot of, for me to kind of hold back in that moment. Because you know what they spend months and thousands of dollars preparing for? A wedding. A 30 to 45 minute ceremony, if it's a long one these days. And I hope the marriage is going to last longer than the ceremony. Amen? I mean, I hope that's the goal, right? Now, I want to tell you something. I don't know that I've ever, I've been to lots of weddings. I get to, that's one of the privileges of this job. I get to go to a lot of weddings. I don't know that I've ever seen an ugly wedding. But I've witnessed some ugly marriages. Just because you know what's next doesn't mean you're prepared for what's next. So over the series of messages that we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to ask the question, well, how do you prepare for what's next? And here's the good thing. This is the thing that I think is encouraging to us. Just because you know what's coming doesn't mean you can be prepared for it. But here's really cool. You can actually prepare for what's next even without knowing what's next. Because here's part of the problem. Some things we know. So we know when a graduation's coming. We know when a wedding's been set. We know when things are happening sometimes. But there's a lot of life we don't have any clue is coming. Amen? The longer I live, the more things happen that I didn't know were going to happen. Right? It's not like as you get older, you think, well, I got it completely figured out. Never had it figured out. The next stage, there's always something unexpected ahead. But the good news is we can prepare for what's next even without knowing. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through one verse. You don't have to turn there because we're going to go to a different passage at the end of this verse. You can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 21. That's where we're going to end up today. Luke chapter 21. But I want to talk about a verse in Proverbs that helps us to think about this process of preparing for what's next. And reminds us what is necessary for that. Now, you've all read Proverbs, right? Most of you grew up in church, been around church for a couple of years. Proverbs is a pretty popular place to read. In fact, when I was growing up in the youth group, it became kind of a cool thing to read a proverb chapter a day. On months, it had 31 days, and so you could read the whole book in a month. Some of the reading plans that we've done as a church, as we've gone through the Bible in a year, we'll have a proverb a day to read. Over um, During the month of November, uh, Susan did this thing in our house where she is teaching Sunday school right now, and the, her ladies, they're going through the book of Proverbs. And so she just went through and wrote down about 45 proverbs on strips of paper. We put it in a bucket, and the kids every morning would pull a proverb of the day out and read it. And they're good, short wisdom. I call it the original And old and improved. You realize that some things are not improved when they get new. Right? Some things were better when they were back then than now. Right? So, these were the old and improved Twitter is what Proverbs is. Twitter, short little sayings people try to be cute with. Well, Proverbs is short sayings, mostly written by Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, although he didn't always follow his own wisdom. 
And in the book of Proverbs, there's one verse that I want to just think about for a couple of minutes. And then we're going to see how that plays out in the book of Luke. And it is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. We're going to walk through it verse, word by word. The first thing we see in there is it says, the prudent. Now that's not a, that's not a word we use a lot, right? Nobody really walks around talking about prudent people much anymore. But you tell me, what does prudent mean? What was that, Charles? Sensible, all right? Anything else? Prepared. Wise, shrewd, sage, well-advised. Now, in our day and time, it's come to mean something it didn't really originally mean. Because in our day and time, it's almost come to mean, you talk about somebody being prudent with their money, it means they were tight with their money. Right? Well, it meant not necessarily tight, it meant that they were wise, that they spent where they needed to, that they gave an extravagance where they needed to, but they also knew when to hold back. These are the people that see the big picture, that understand the big picture, that make good decisions, the prudent. So what we talked about last week. There are people that see that everything is connected, that the seasons of our lives are connected. So how we live, how we act, how we obey as a teenager impacts how we do that as a young married. Now, what we do as a young married impacts how we are as parents of teenagers. And how we are as parents of teenagers impacts how we parent our children when they're in their adult years. That every season of life is connected. These are the people that realize that our present will soon be the past and that that past will impact the future. That everything's connected. I was thinking about this recently. Um, during the month of October, um, this you know, they have this thing where they do pastor appreciation stuff and y'all are always generous uh, to the staff and to our family and we're thankful for that. And some people here in the church went together as a group of families and got us a gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Now, Susan and I have never been to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse before. And we always feel a little out of place at a place like that. Somebody, while we were there, by the way, brought their kids and we thought, we're not paying for our kids to be at a place like this, right? We had a great meal, great meal. I got, you know, I got a ribeye and we got um, some a salad and potatoes and the service was great. It was a great night. But how long did that meal last? Well, we, we didn't do the four hour meal, but like we ate it and then we went and did some other stuff. And a couple hours later, I couldn't taste the meal anymore, right? Here's the truth. Ten minutes later, I couldn't taste the meal anymore. Now, I had the sense of being full. And by the next morning, that meal was gone. It was the past. Now, now my grandparents, my, on my mom's side, my gramps and granny were very simple people. They grew up in Brazil, Tennessee, Gibson Wells, Tennessee. They grew up in farms. They were just simple people. They ain't never had a meal like Ruth's Chris in their lives. They They would have... They would have yelled at somebody about the cost of the meal in the restaurant. And Gramps had this whole theory about food. He was what I call a combiner of his foods. Do you all know what that is? Somebody puts it all together. Anybody here one of those people that you take everything on your plate and before long it is one thing. Here you go. We got, we got Al Jernigan right here, all right? 
combiner of food. And when we as grandchildren were less than impressed with his eating style and would let him know that that was the grossest thing we had ever seen, he would say to us, it's all going to the same place. Right? And tomorrow you won't even remember what you had. He said, I just put it all together and let it go at once. Now, the truth is, what does that have to do with the prudent? The prudent realize that the appetites of today will soon be passed. And how we decide and do what we do today as it becomes our past can impact our future. The prudent, here's the second part of it, see danger. They see it. They look out for it. They're looking for it. They're aware of it. They're a watchman on the wall, paying attention to what's around. Now, most of us see what we want to say and hear what we want to hear. We, we put ourselves in a place where if it's a hard truth that's coming, we don't want to hear it. If there's a challenging step ahead, we'd rather not know it. But the prudent man looks for, sees, thinks about the possibilities out there. The truth is most of us have put ourselves in places where we are around people that think like us, act like us, talk like us. And as a result, we don't see the possibilities or other places that might give us information about what could be coming. Now, I'm not talking about on a grand scale here. I'm not talking about the collapse of a country. I'm not talking about the collapse of the world, although we'll talk about that in a few minutes when we get over to Luke. What I'm talking about is in our personal lives, and our personal beliefs, and our personal understandings. We see what we want to see. In fact, there's a, um, there's a term for that, a scientific term for that. It's called confirmation bias. That we look out for people that agree with what we agree with so that we can be confirmed in what we already believe. And I thought about this Monday night. I watched um, this championship game, right? Alabama and Georgia. And I have friends that like both teams. And I have friends like myself that like neither team. All right? When you're a Tennessee fan, that's the worst possible game there. We, we, I was hoping for a, a tie, you know, that ended early. But what was interesting is I'm watching the social feed as I'm watching the game. My Twitter feed, my Facebook feed, and I'm seeing how people are reacting to what's going on. You know what was interesting is fans on both sides thought the commentators were biased against them. I saw a Georgia guy goes, these guys might as well go ahead and put A's on their chest because they're so hard rooting for Alabama. And then the Alabama fans on my timeline were, these people won't give Alabama credit for anything. I have never seen on social media or talked to anybody that says, you know what, those announcers are really for my team. Anybody watch the Titans yesterday? Anybody think the referees did a bad job for the Titans yesterday? It's all over. Titans lost that game because the, the refs are against us. Commentators, all the, the NFL wants New England to get through anyways. What was interesting is somebody I saw put that on, on, on Twitter and a Kansas City fan said, where were you last week when the refs were against us? <laughs> right? We all think that we put ourselves in this box. And what the prudent person does is says, listen, I'm going to step back and I'm going to analyze the situation from multiple perspectives and think about what could happen. We see the danger. The prudent see danger and, this is important, take refuge. 
The word there for refuge was of someone of a scout that went ahead of the army. And when he saw something coming, would go back and tell the army and they would take a defensive position. They were to take refuge or of a traveler in the days of Jesus, in the days of the Old Testament. Being a traveler was a very difficult thing, was a very dangerous thing. And they would go see something happening and going to higher ground. That's why the prodigal son is such a powerful parable for those people because they feared all the time traveling by themselves and getting in danger. And he says it's the person that sees the danger and gets out out of the way, avoids it, does something about it. So the prudent, the wise, the shrewd, the sage, the well-advised, the prepared, sees the danger, looks for the danger, analyzes the danger, and then does something about it. But the simple. So the prudent see danger, take refuge, but the simple. That word's used throughout Proverbs, it means naive. It means stupid. There's a word you can't say in my house. It means those that are easily taken advantage of. It means those that are over-impressed. Those that give themselves to things that they shouldn't. They don't live like life is connected. They just live for the moment. The simple. So the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going. They may see the same danger or they may not understand the danger... But they don't take any action. They just keep on going. They're like the people that are driving when floodwaters are rushing across the road and think it's not that deep. I'll just keep on going. When I was in the youth group growing up, we went to the Akoi River whitewater rafting. Anybody here ever been whitewater rafting? Look at that. All of us adventurers out here. And I remember we were at a we were at the whitewater rafting thing and in the boat and you know you have a guide that looks like they live their lives on the river in East Tennessee and he's you know back there and this is before everybody was wearing beards including your preacher they like he had a long beard scraggly stuff all over and you know just looks like he's just been on the river for forty years. And he's riding, you know, in the first part of the, the first part of the trip, he's very calm. But he keeps telling us, now there's going to be a point where you're going to have to work hard. Like, I, I'm just preparing y'all. There's going to be a moment when you're going to have to work. Don't work real hard now. We're going through light stuff. Don't, don't overextend yourself now because in a moment there's going to be a moment we're going to do this. And I remember we got to this part. And if you've been whitewater rafting, you've had this part where we got to a part. He said, we're just going to push. We're going to stop right here for a second. You can get out. It's just calm. You can just get out. You can swim a little bit. And this was in July and those waters were cool. They were coming down from the mountains and we got out and swam for a minute. And there was no idea what was coming. He said, he got back in the boat. He said, now when we turn this corner, it's going to be the worst part of the river. And I need you ready for that. And so he worked with us on what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, where we're going to go. And we were at a group. We, we had about seven boats, all kind of, you know, one right after the other. We got ready to turn that corner. And then in the flattest voice I've ever heard, he said, Wow. These are the roughest rapids I have seen on this river in about five years. And I'm like, okay, do you say that to all the boats? Or is this, is this part of your little pep talk? Or is this real? And we started down that thing and everything he had told us was true. 
You know what I noticed on the sides as we were going down those rapids? Other boats. They didn't quite make it. They flipped. They turned. Because they weren't prepared. And when the time came, they didn't do what needed to be done to make it through. The simple, don't heed the warning. They just keep on going. And then it tells us this. And they pay the penalty. If you want to know what the theme of this whole this whole series is about. It is this verse. That what I desire for you, what I desire for me, what I desire for our church, what I desire for your family, is that we would be the prudent. That when we see trouble coming, we don't ignore it. We do something. We act. We're prepared. We're ready. Whatever's next in our lives, that we would be the ones that we see it and we do something about it. And so the question becomes, okay, so how do you prepare for something you don't know is coming? Luke chapter 21. We're going to be starting in verse 34. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, you, you tell me, what is Luke 21 about? What are the, you've got the, many of you've got the headings above there. What is Luke 21 about? End of the age, right? So here's what happens at the beginning of Luke 21. Jesus starts to talk a little bit about end time stuff. Um, you, by the way, we're gonna, you're going to get a little end time stuff today. It's a bonus just for you for showing up today on a, a cold, snowy day. We'll do a little end time stuff, all right? So he's asking them, hey, telling them about what's coming. And one of them goes, hey, um, Jesus, could you, uh, hey, just a quick question. Could you let us know when that's going to happen? Like, it just, I'm just kind of thinking here, Jesus, like all the stuff you're telling us about, like, it'd be really cool if you could just, just, just tell us. Now, here's my truth, because I know, my speculation, because I know the human heart, and I know how he's, how we think and how we act. What he's asking for there is what? A date. Like, can you ballpark it for me, Jesus? Like, are we talking next week? Are, are we talking... Like five years from now, or like, are you thinking like January 14th, uh, 2022? Like, what are we, what are we talking about here? Now, I can guarantee you one thing, what they did not expect the answer to be sometime past 2018. Okay? They were thinking like now, like imminent. Everybody that's a believer of Jesus since he came and came back from the grave have lived in the last days and they thought it was going to be quick. But they say, Jesus, when is this going to take place? That's in verse 7 if you look back in chapter 21. So when will these things happen and what will be the sign will these things will take place? And Jesus starts to give them some signs. He starts to talk to them about it. He starts to talk about things that are going to get more difficult. There will be wars and rumors of wars. And don't be alarmed. He says because that's going to happen from now on till the end. Nation will rise up against nation. Persecution's going to happen. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. That will happen a little sooner. Then there'll be signs and the stars and all kinds of stuff. He tells them the parable of the fig tree. And then in verse 34, he does an interesting thing. Because what he basically says is, these are some of the things that might happen. You can look towards, there'll be gods. But verse 34 is the application. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Chapter 21, verse 34, he says, be on your guard. So that your minds are not dulled from carousing drunkenness and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. 
For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. So we're going to stop there for a minute. Because he says, here's what I want you to do. First of all, be on alert. And we'll talk about that word in just a minute. Don't, don't be out carousing. Don't be out being drunk. And this is the one that, that, that gets most of us in this room. Now, there may be some of you that need to deal with the carousing and the drunkenness. But most of us in this room, that third one can get us. Don't be so consumed with the worries of life. Don't be so consumed with what's happening in your day-to-day schedule. Don't be so consumed with what's now that you miss what's coming. And he says that that day will come upon you like a trap. It'll come to all who live on the earth. And this is the, the, the end time part I want to talk about just for a minute. Then we'll talk about the bigger principle that can apply to anything for next. Because this is the ultimate next, right? I mean, the ultimate next is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be prepared for that before anything else. And he says on that, about the coming of Christ, he says, first of all, it's going to happen. It's certain. Jesus is going to return. He's saying, this will happen. It's happening. He's telling us that it's going to get harder and harder and harder and harder for those of us that are believers as we get closer and closer and closer to that day. That may not be what we want to hear, but in our confirmation bias, we can't remove ourselves from the reality that Jesus and everywhere he talks about the coming of the end times, if you want the end times to come, you're asking, relying on the fact that it's going to get harder and harder for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. I watched a video this morning about something happening in Canada. This is the, the time of year when we have lots of kind of important thought processes going on. It's a um, right to life, sanctity of human life. Tomorrow we celebrate uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, racial reconciliation. A lot of quality of life moments. This particular one was about a decision that has been made in Canada in the last few weeks. That they're going to deny any funding for their summer program. It's a huge deal for youth to groups that are pro-life advocates. And so they interview the prime minister about it. I don't know if you know the prime minister in Canada. He's a big time kind of YouTube star and because he, he's young and um, handsome and all the things that the, the world goes crazy about in our superficial culture. And he stood up and he said, listen, we're not, we're not get, telling religious groups they can't be a part of this. We have lots of great religious groups here. We're just telling groups of people that would advocate that life begins at conception and abortion is wrong, that they can't be a part of it. He says that that violates their code of government, which means that they are not in line, or the next step from that can be, they are combatants of their own government. Now, if you think that's going away in our country or around the world, then you're not seeing. And I'm not saying that because of some idea I have with the current culture we're in. I'm saying that because Jesus said it. The closer we get to the end the more difficult it's going to be for those of us who are followers of Jesus. So he says the second coming is certain, the difficulty will intensify. Then he says the end will be surprising, right? He says it will come unexpectedly like a trap. That's one of those things that you'll step into without even knowing that it's there. Unexpectedly it'll happen. They ask him, right, Jesus, when is it going to happen? And he says it's going to be like a trap. Another place he says it's like what, a Thief 
in the night. He also says that the judgment will be final. It'll come on all who live. It'll be sudden. It'll be global. So what he's telling them is, hey, there's this event coming. The second coming. I'm coming back. Difficulty will intensify. End of the world will be here. End times will be here. It'll be surprising. Judgment will be final. And the effects will be global. And at that moment, it would probably be good for him to give us a way to prepare for it, right? Because he's told them, be on your guard. Watch. It's like a watchman on the wall that is looking consistently, constantly, analyzing, asking, what's coming? What's happening? What can I protect? How can I help? What can I do? In verse 36, he repeats that. But be on alert at all times. Be on alert at all times. And then he gives us the way to be prepared. You ready for it? He says, praying that you have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, we're going to talk over the next three weeks. We talked last week about ways to prepare for whatever's next. And one of the things we talked about last week is to do what God's called you to do now. Because you're not doing what God's called you to do now. There's a good chance you're not going to do what God calls you to do later. Do it now, here, wherever you're planted. The second thing is you've got to pray. You've got to be people of prayer. I've got to be a person of prayer. We've got to be a church of prayer. And specifically, now again, he's talking about end times, but I think this relates to anything that is coming in our life. It relates to what's next. Specifically, he says, pray for two things in this passage. Now, there are lots of things we could pray for, but he asked for two things in this passage. First of all, he asked for the strength to escape all these things. So the first thing he says to pray for is the strength to endure. You know what I think is interesting there? He's just told them all this stuff that's going to happen, right? Do you know what he tells them to pray for? The strength to endure. You know what he tells them not to pray for? God, spare me. Right? What does he say to pray for? Pray for what? The strength to endure all that is coming. Not protect me. Save me. He's saying, no, why is that a big deal? Because most of us in this room have grown up in a culture where it has been completely comfortable to be a follower of Jesus. And when it comes time and difficulty starts to come in our lives, the first thing we pray for is to God to take it out. God, get rid of it. Now, the truth is, that's not always terrible. I mean, I'm not saying go home and say, God, give me more illnesses. Let's go. What I'm saying is that our first thought should not be get it out of here. Our first thought should be, God, help me make it through it. Give me the strength to endure for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. You talk to the persecuted church all over the world, read stories about it, read testimonies about it. Now, there are times when they'll say, could you pray that the persecution would let up just because it is so severe? But if you talk to most of them, they would say, do not pray that the persecution will necessarily end. Pray that we would be able to endure the persecution as a testimony to Jesus. I've said this before, and it just always boggles my mind. And it shouldn't because it's the kind of God we serve. But the places in the world where the gospel is growing the most is often the places where persecution is rising the fastest. The places in the world where the gospel has stalled 
And I don't mean that the gospel, that God's word or plan has ever been thwarted. But I'm saying where the numbers of people coming to Christ is stagnant or lessening are places in the world where we have complete freedom to speak the truth about Jesus. And the people are so comfortable with what's happening that they don't tell anybody about it. Books like Nick Ripkin's book about the insanity of God. You read that they don't have to have classes on personal witnessing in persecuted countries. You know why? Because they just tell. He says, don't pray to be pulled out of it. Pray to endure it. And then the second thing he says, praying that you may have a strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now what the connotation there is, pray that you will be faithful to what God's called you to do. All of these implications are that when we stand before the Son of Man, anytime you see that in Scripture, there's a part where it tells us that at the judgment, that those of us who are not, those people in the world that are not believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they will be separated to the sheep and the goats. There will be the great white throne judgment and those that are not followers of Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from Him. But there is also this part of Scripture that says then those of us who remain, those of us that are believers, those of us that are followers of Christ, the part of the family of God will stand before the Lord and there we will be judged on the deeds we have done, on the faithfulness we have. And it's not that we're getting punished. It's just that there are rewards awaiting those who have lived faithfully for the Lord in eternity, eternal rewards that have been laid up. And as we are there, anytime it talks about the stand before the Son of Man, the idea is that we will stand in full confidence that we have fulfilled what God has called us to do. We have been faithful to what God has called us to do. And what he says here is pray that as the days draw closer, that you will be faithful to doing what God has called you to do and i don't know what's next for you i can't tell you what is around the corner this week next week next year i can't tell you all that but what i can tell you is there are some basic principles of being faithful to jesus that will remain whatever is next that the number one goal of your life is the glory of God and the serving of His kingdom for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And whatever that is in your next step is going to involve spending time learning about Him, getting to know Him, reading His Word, praying to Him. It's going to mean faithfully serving in whatever capacity you can. You don't ever retire from the work of the Lord. You realize that, right? You realize that, right? I know some of you here are close to retirement age, right? Either on one end or the other. You've either already gone through it or you're on the way, okay? Some of us are getting closer every day, like all of us, right? There is no retirement age for the service of the Lord. And he says, pray, first of all, that you'll be able to endure, and secondly, that you'll be faithful in the midst of it. You don't know how to prepare for what's next. You just simply pray, God, show me what's coming and help me to be obedient when it does. I'm indebted to Andy Stanley for the next prayer I'm going to put up on because this is the, the conclusion. This is the, the take-home portion of this. In just a moment, I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. And it's a, one that, that Andy Stanley says he's prayed for 25 years. And it encapsulates really the proverb we read earlier. It was inspired by that proverb of being the prudent one. You don't have to pray it exactly like it's going to be put up on the screen, but 
I think it's a great way to start your day. It's a great way to spend time as a couple. It's a great way as a family to talk about these things. This is the prayer he prays. And, and Andy himself says, um, the grammar's not great, but God understands. He says, on a daily basis, he and his wife Sandra pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see trouble coming long before it gets here. Then give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? And that's not your whole prayer life. If you plan on that being your whole prayer life, then you need to work on that. What God will show you is, here's what you need to do. You need to pray more. That's a pretty good way to start. If we would say that prayer and take it to heart, it wouldn't matter what's next. Wouldn't matter at all what's next. Heavenly Father, help us to see trouble coming long before it gets here. Then give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. Let's pray together.